This episode is brought to you by McDonald's. Not sure you've heard of them. <laughs> Up and coming uh, little restaurant, but they're making it. They're the little engine that could. You know, the moment of bliss when you spot your fries being scooped into the carton and suddenly time slows down. I have that all the time. I love their fries. Oh, yeah. yes. McDonald's fries hit different when they're free. That's another thing I'll tell you. And when they belong to your friends, there's no better feeling than thinking you're out of fries and then you discover extra fries at the bottom of your bag or else my son still hasn't finished his fries yeah. and I'm done with mine. And uh, he used to be weaker than me so I could just take them. Yeah. Now I can't because he's stronger than me. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's no wrong way to eat McDonald's fries, but we all think our way is the best way. And I like stealing them from someone else. That's my favorite <laughs> way. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. McDonald's, check them out sometime. They're everywhere. There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hear me? I did. I heard you. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need. You just say that and they show up. They come jumping out of a shrub. Oh, cool. No matter where you are in life, when you need the coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hi, my name is Judd Apatow And I don't feel hopeful about being Conan O'Brien's friend <laughs> Fall is here, hear the yell Back to school, ring the bell Brand new shoes, walk in blues Climb the fence, books and pens Hello there and welcome to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, the little engine that could, just trucking along. Yeah, we were the underdogs. <laughs> <laughs> they said it couldn't be done. They said after 26 years in television, there's no way. And I said, I'll show you. Yeah. And then they said, why are you yelling at your father? Uh, <laughs> I'm joined, as always, by my uh, loyal assistant. You are a loyal, Sona. Yeah, I need to be. I just uh, bought a house. That's and, right. Sona, uh, Sona just to... bought a house uh, with her husband, Tack. Yes. And um, this is your first house that you've owned. Yes. Well, you're an adult now. Yeah. Uh, so I got to, you know, you have to just keep going for another 30 years. Who, me? Yeah, till I pay it off because I can't work anywhere else. <laughs> well, that would put me way past my life expectancy. So I'm just telling you, I'm just being honest. And I also, uh, I live, I sort of, one of those guys that lives on the edge. <laughs> so I might not go the distance. Oh, no, you do not. What are you talking about? You're one of the most cautious people I've ever met. What are you talking about? I'm a, I'm a madman. I'm, I'm a daredevil. No, yes. you're not. You know you're not. It's okay. You no, I, I like to think that I, uh, I'm a... You know, edgy guy. <laughs> Which is, Matt Matt Gorley is also here. You're the uh, producer and engineer. I, I'm just saying you're the engineer. I don't think. Are you really the engineer? I'm no, not at Will's all the, the engineer. engineer. Will's yeah, the engineer. but I don't know what Will does. He's the engineer. Is he though? He is. Will's always in the background, and I've never seen him adjust a dial. He doesn't have. He's a microphone. always adjusting. Do you have a microphone available, Will, that you can talk into? Let me explain uh, what Will looks like. Will looks like a backwoodsman. <laughs> Uh, with a trim beard, but he does look like someone uh, who just participated in a barn raising. Oh boy! And uh, 
And now I'm told you're an engineer. I swear to God, I thought you were back there doing like a Civil War sketch. <laughs> Uh, for doing posterity, this since like 2018, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's right. Well, my heart is with you right now. <laughs> He's right. Well, no. Uh, first of all, I will thank you. I didn't realize you were the engineer. I thought you were here as a fan, <laughs> kind of a creepy fan who showed up, <laughs> showed up every week, and just uh, stared at me through the booth. <laughs> uh, but I'm realizing now, occasionally, I do see you adjust a dial or something. How, from an engineer's point of view, will. And again, uh, let me picture it. Uh, he is wearing a, um, a denim shirt, a trim uh, beard, uh, very uh, late 19th century haircut. Uh, <laughs> looks like someone who may have tried to assassinate Garfield <laughs> in a train station. <laughs> Will Becton, if I may use your last name. Um, you may. As an assassin, you'll need a middle name. <laughs> Do you have a middle name? Uh, McEwen. Okay, Will McEwen Becton. Oh, that does That's sound assassinating. Yeah, yeah, it really does. Yeah, when you add that, yeah. Will McEwen Becton attempted to assassinate President Garfield, but failed when uh, the uh, Derringer he was holding melted in his hand because it was made of chocolate. <laughs> He's anyway, not even a good assassin. You're not even a good assassin. <laughs> Will... From an engineer standpoint, how do you think the show is going? Not creatively, but from the engineering standpoint, how are the levels? The levels are fine. Okay. Just, <laughs> <laughs> wow, what a prick. Just, uh, yeah. Do you, do you uh, is my voice tough on the dials? Do you ever have to kind of ride me down a little bit because of my, my irritating, reedy voice? There's, there's some dynamic range. <laughs> All right, want to talk about that? <laughs> There's some lows and some some highs. Yeah, as all greats as all great singers have. <laughs> I can go low, I can go low, and I can go high. I mean, that's a dynamic range. Yeah. Treat me like a fool. Treat me mean and cruel, but love me. You know, that's a song we can't clear. So good luck getting that in there. Uh, will Will you pay the Elvis Presley estate whatever it costs to play that song? Uh, I forgot that you can't pay for it because you only have Confederate money. <laughs> it's not your fault, Will. Um, uh, but I'm glad that you think from an engineering point of view, this is going well. From that point of view, this is going fine. Yes. Okay. <laughs> He's All right. stressing it. God damn. Talk to me after, Will. Okay. I have some coping. Now, I wanna, I'm, I'm curious, how do you, Matt Gorley, the producer, how do you interact with the engineer, Will Becton? Well, after a session, Will sends me the files, and then I do some- oh, He sends me the files. <laughs> oh, oh, My boy. precious files. Can't you make it sound a little cooler? He sends me the show. <laughs> cooler. He sends me the episode. We're doing a podcast. There's no way yeah. to make this cool. They're files. You can definitely see that's the problem with podcasts is you guys have all accepted that it's nerdy. We could make it cooler than it is. Say, after we've wrapped an episode, I get the episode and I manipulate it. Will drives it to me on a motorcycle delivered cool. in saddlebags. Much better. saddlebags. Is it like a Royal Enfield motorcycle, the one that uh, killed uh, Lawrence of Arabia? It's exactly that one. Yeah, I and it has those. a little sidecar. Yeah. And uh, just right. a little World War I German soldiers in the sidecar. Yeah, and and Will is uh, wearing goggles and he speeds it to you. Yeah. And he takes it to your uh, to your house. Well, it's not a house, it's a bunker. Yeah, to uh, your bunker. Podcast bunker. And he gets it to you and he has to dodge shells. It's like 1917 exactly. on the way. Yeah. It's all in one shot. And he gets you the episode and you take it out of the lead canister. <laughs> 
And then you put it on the old reel-to-reel right. and send it out to the Americas. I send it pneumatic tube, like at home Very Depot. good. That's yeah. what I want to think well, about the show. Happens, yeah. So let's, next time I ask you, don't go, hmm, <laughs> he, he emails me the files. Hmm. I don't think I did that. That's what it's you did. Dropbox, actually. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. it's Dropbox, yeah. yeah, yeah. Dropbox. <laughs> the show business I grew up in, and I know I'm an older gentleman, but the show business I grew up in was like, you could smell the popcorn. Everyone had the, the face paint on, you know? What? Grease paint? Grease paint, yeah. <laughs> face paint like from a child's party. What are party. you talking about? We all, back then I grew up, when I grew up, you could, you could feel the tap shoes going up the wooden stairs <laughs> as people ascended, getting ready to do the big review. That's the kind of show business I always wanted to be in. And now I find myself in this sterile environment with a guy who's like, mm, files, and uh, a, uh, a late 19th century Dust Bowl farmer uh, is twiddling some dials. I mean, the joy is gone. Let's get show business back into podcasts. Don't you think? Yeah, I'm all for that. Wow. Let's do it. Okay, that's better. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Fuck <Anything>? you. <laughs> Well, okay. What the hell was that? Hey, man, you asked for it. <laughs> they never said that in a Mickey Rooney movie. Go screw. Let's do a show. Yeah, we could do it. Yeah, says Judy Garland. Fuck yeah, says Mickey Rooney. We're going to fucking do this. Mick, cut. Mickey, come here. What? What happened? Anyway, I just want to make sure that show business, let's bring real old-fashioned show business. Is there any way that we could get the sound of, like, popping corn and crowds milling around and a... In an audience. Right now, lay it under here. We'll do that. Yeah, yeah. something like that would be nice. Like an old film projector. Yes, yes, the crowd's coming. They're taking off their hats and putting them in their laps and setting down, and they're getting ready to watch the show. Okay, well, that will happen and has happened. Okay, I like it. I like that we're in show business now. We did it. And Will, uh, thank you for being such a good engineer. You clearly do a great job. Thanks for the thanks. <laughs> Okay. You have to understand Will's a little stunned. He doesn't get to the big city often. And this is uh, a huge deal for him. See all these blinking lights. Will, I want to jump in front of this bullet somehow, like pull out a handkerchief or I'm sure. show yeah, pull out a handkerchief. I'm sure you have a handkerchief on you. I know, we've talked about I know, about yes, it. I'm sure you do. Well, you know, enough dilly-dallying and enough shilly-shallying. There's no time to waste. We must get on with the show and what a show it is. That's right, gang. My guest today is a writer, director, and producer of some of the most well-known comedies of the last two decades. His movies include Knocked Up, Superbad, The 40-Year-Old Virgin, and The Big Sick. He also worked on The Larry Sanders Show and now has a book, It's Gary Shandling's Book, honoring legendary comedian and his mentor, Gary Shandling. I'm very excited to talk to this gentleman. Judd Apatow is here. Hey, Judd. to say i walked in and i saw you today and uh, sometimes you seem miserable i do today i do i am today and and today I, I am yeah are you really miserable or you just seem miserable oh no no it's happening it's happening right <laughs> okay now. is there anything you want to talk about that i could help you with well you know sometimes uh, i don't know if you've been through this you're working through creative problems and you have a day where you realize that maybe you're wrong about everything and deserve nothing in your life and you're a fraud and you're about to have a, a epic worldwide humiliation. And then you walk in and there's Conan and you can't hide it. You try to hide it. You no, try to I, I saw it right away. Uh, first of all, cannot relate to what you're talking That's, about. Okay. I've never made a comedic error or a creative error in my life. It's been... 
I was thinking about this the other day. A, for me, a string of, I mean, day to day, just massive successes. So what you say falls on uh, deaf ears as far as I'm concerned. Understand, you've been here a million times, not here in this studio, but you've been in this place mentally yes. a million times. And and it still doesn't go away. That is the beauty of of making anything is that no matter how many times you've succeeded, you do not feel that it increases your chances of succeeding again. And all the success gives you no self-esteem. That's the surprise, the lack of self-esteem off of success. I remember I was at a restaurant. We, We bumped into somebody. I mean, it was literally like Steven Spielberg, but it wasn't, but someone like that. And they said the nicest things to me that a person could say to me, the things as a child you would dream that an idol would say to you. Right. And when they walked away, I said to Leslie, I should never be insecure ever again because that just happened. And five minutes later, (laughs) I sunk back down and I realized it doesn't hold. It doesn't hold. No, the best way I can describe it is that if someone walked up to you and they had a vape pen that dispensed dispensed self-esteem and they took a long, big pull and then blew that bubblegum flavored self-esteem into your face. And for like, I would say as long as you can smell that bubblegum for, that's how long you feel it. And then it dissolves or it goes away. A writer can get in my face about, even jokingly about one of their pieces that just did well. And I can instantly access one from 25 years ago (laughs) that missed the mark. And they'll just- They'll laugh, but they're also just stunned that I can remember Yoda yes. Plumber. <laughs> but now you're still going to do Baby Yoda Plumber. That's a now, yeah, yeah. Now, now it'll have to be Baby Yoda Plumber. But it's just, it's just absolutely. Uh, they don't know you, how sick we are, really. Uh, I'm just going to cover the sound of your straw going into your very um, rich chocolatey drink that you're about to have. Um, I, I call it the fuel, the ice blended mocha fuel. Yeah. Yeah, that's 8,000 calories of just pure sugar. I'm going to be so focused and then <laughs> get home and then it's just two hours of diarrhea, but it's worth it. <laughs> a, a sweet, creamy diarrhea. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> an, attra- an attractive diarrhea. Yeah, oh my God. It as doesn't di- change the shape. As diarrheas go, it is a fantastic <laughs> diarrhea. <laughs> and Starbucks, we thank you. Um, you started to cheer up a bit when we were talking about other comedians and I thought, we should just, you know, we were talking about Sandler and Sandler's a really good example. Adam Sandler's a really good example of a guy who's just had, he has never rested on a laurel for like a half a second and just always looks like a man who, I, I think, I think they're on to me, you know, <laughs> I think they got to get, and, and I think uh, you're another guy is the same, same thing. It's hard not to be that way because I feel like most people don't realize that in their jobs when they fail, it isn't a massive public humiliation. You could screw up, you know, changing an oil filter at work, and you're like, okay, I'm going to redo that. You don't have the entire world calling you an asshole. <laughs> and so it's just very different. The stakes. I don't, I, where, I don't, there was never a time in your career where everybody called you an asshole. I, the, I think you have a prism in the front of your brain. It pro- yes. would probably show up in a CAT scan. There's a prism lodged in the front of your brain. And when input comes in, it gets refracted nine different ways. And you get this crazy rainbow of misery that's not accurate. 
I I totally the whole world agree has never that. called you an asshole because I think when you're young you think God if I could get everyone to like me and appreciate me I won't feel bad about myself and then when it happens you feel just as bad about yourself you're like damn it it didn't work at all and that's the strange part but I think what's good about it is it's like why Sandler's great in uncut gems. Yes. It's because there's no part of him that feels comfortable with anything that's happened. Yes. So his level of effort on uncut gems is the same as how obsessed he was doing his third set at the comic strip. Right. There's because he can't feel it and most of us can't feel it or we would, you know, stop. You have a unique uh understanding of this because as a young young guy, you were hanging around with Sandler, Shandling, uh, Jim Carrey. You were around all these people, some of them before they were famous, like you were around Sandler before anybody knew who he was. And so you've seen them from the very beginning all through the process. Yeah. And you know that fame (laughs) and getting recognized and having a lot of money doesn't change a fucking thing. Well, also you have your friends from school who who are not in show business. And sometimes you just go, I think they seem way happier than us. They're like, hey, I'm going to Fire Island this weekend. And (laughs) then we're going to go to the Yankee game. And then I'm going to go visit the kids at school. And you feel the lack of stress and tension. And you know they have work stress and you know, the things they need to do to keep their lives going. But you don't feel the filter. Yeah. Uh, because I think when you're in the creative arts in any way, every second of the day, you feel like I could be working fixing something. Yes. And yeah. that's a weird feeling that I think a lot of people, you know, they check out. You know, if you're a chef, you check out and then you go do what you're going to do. You're not like going, you know, there's probably a joke in there somewhere if I could figure out how to punch that scene up. And as a writer, every second of the day, you could be writing. So you either feel like you're writing or you're neglecting writing. Right. And it's just a strange thing. And you try to shake it off and you focus and you learn to meditate and you go to hot yoga or whatever you think is going to change it. But ultimately, in the middle of hot yoga, you're like, I don't know. I think I probably could bring them in for ADR and we'll get add a joke on the back of his head. And it's a it's just a strange life. I... Uh... I had someone recommend during a particularly difficult time in my life that I try meditation. And I tried so hard. Yeah. <laughs> and I failed consistently because my head is, um, imagine one of those baskets that just spins around with ping pong balls in it at a lottery where they're gonna pick one out. <laughs> it's just constantly spinning around and, and, and all those ping pongs, are like some of them are joyous and have good ideas, but a lot of them are also incredibly negative and it's all rattling around. I could not sit still. I remember think- in the Gary Shanling documentary where they show him talking to Ricky Gervais. Yeah. And, and Gary says, you know, you should, you know, use silence. You know, he's trying to get him to be quiet. And he was some- irritated at Ricky Gervais because Ricky Gervais sort of surprised him yes. in his kitchen for something he was shooting. And get, you can see that Gary's really rattled by it. And, and Ricky, it's very awkward. Ricky's trying yes. to have fun in the moment with it. And Gary's very upset. Yeah. And then he keeps <laughs> saying to him, you should use silence. To, to Ricky Gervais, you should try using silence. And what he's basically saying is shut the fuck up. <laughs> but you should try silence is such a nice way of saying it. And also a very, you know, Gary way of saying it. Yeah, and it's a fascinating moment because Gary was, uh, by the way, I have a book. It's Gary Channing's book, if you're interested in such things. But Gary said, I'll do an interview with you for your TV show where you interview famous comedy people. But I want to interview you for 
the DVD extras for the Larry Sanders show. And I guess the agreement was that they would do uh, Gary's interview first, and then they would he would do whatever Ricky wanted. And also, don't come in the house until yeah. I get home. And he gets home, and they're all set up. And that's not necessarily Ricky's fault. He may not even know any of this. But Gary instantly gets all negative and worked up. And he feels betrayed and hijacked. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's, it's way out of proportion with what's happening. But in the moment, Gary decides to out awkward Ricky Gervais. Yeah. It was almost like he was saying, oh, you think you're the office awkward guy? Let me show you how awkward works. <laughs> and he creates a scenario that is maybe the most awkward thing you've ever witnessed. Yeah, yeah. And then I found a camera that Gary, it was one of Gary's cameramen, had a, some video of this moment, which wasn't in the DVD extras or in Ricky's show, which is of Gary telling him, like, you should use silence in your work, trying to get Ricky to not talk. And then Ricky kept saying, like, I can't, I don't understand. I would. And he was having the experience that you are talking about, which I have had every day for the last 27 years. Yeah. Uh, I read through, like, a bunch of my old journals the other day. I swear, every entry is me going, you really should meditate. You should meditate. You'd feel better if you meditated. And and it's then God, it's, your inner voice is so annoying. <laughs> you should try meditating. That's why I don't meditate. That's why I hear you don't that meditate. Voice. Now you're doing it. You're getting to a very zen place. Ed Wynn is my yeah. inner voice. Oh. <laughs> or the waiter from the I Love Lucy. Well, Lucille. Uh, yeah, that's your problem. Is we just identified it. Yeah. It's your inner voice. If your inner voice, if you could get Samuel L. Jackson to dub your inner voice, yeah. I think you'd be in a better place. I hate my essence. That's what I've learned is that when I get to pure quiet and it's only me and no one is there, I'm like, fuck that guy. Shut I, the fuck up. <laughs> That's your true self. That's my true Just self. Just a piece of shit. I, uh, it's so funny you bring that up because I have all these journals that I've found and they're all so annoyingly self-helpy. Like, yes. it's all like, tomorrow you'll eat nothing <laughs> and you'll run on a machine for six hours and, you know, you'll get down. It's just, what? And, it, and it's like, that's 1995. Wait, 1998. Here's an entry from 2014. Here's one yes. from 2019. And it's just a litany. And then I come to work and Sono will, will back me up on this. There's this guy that sits right near Sona, uh, David Hopping, and he's just happy. Yeah. And he's really happy. And every time I come in, I'm just like, David, what's up? And he's like, I went to Disneyland mm -hmm. and um, it was really fun. I'm with some friends. And then we went and saw a movie. <laughs> and then we went, oh, the next day we went to this room. Then we went back to Disneyland. And I'm like, oh, you went to Disneyland, did you? Did you have a good time riding around the teacups? And You're he's always, so mad at I'm him. I'm so mad at for him. For loving life. For loving life. Yeah. Jealous. I mean, jealous. jealous. Because, I mean, I always wonder where that comes from because I, I I think it's a form of hypervigilance. I think that when you come from certain backgrounds or family strife, it clicks on some part of your brain that's like, you better fucking pay attention or shit is going down. It's like watching the door in the restaurant to see if like gunmen are going to come in, you know, like you're just hypervigilant. So it's not even like it's not happy. It's just like, if I just like get all giggly talking about my Disney day, I'm going to miss the thing that's going to chop my head off. And so you're just fucking focused every fucking second. And that's the thing I'm always trying to get rid of. And it is 
It's very hard. Only watching 90 Day Fiance helps. <laughs> <laughs> does that really help you? Is that bring you to a... Maybe it does. And maybe 90 Day Fiance is your, is your happy place. I'm like, at least I don't have to convince this woman to marry me so I can get in the country. <laughs> <laughs> do you find have- this though I, I mean you're you might be joking i don't know that might actually be your show but you know that you you're the show that you love but i am so happy watching things that don't have anything to do with comedy yes i like things where i don't have to like oh i see the seam in the workmanship or i see yeah. uh, oh they're doing that okay um uh i like to be transported and if it's comedy i might not be transported doesn't mean all comedy, obviously, but but I just I could get triggered. So the yeah. thing that's not going to trigger me is an absurd reality show or a documentary about a terrible murderer yeah. in the 1950s. A great that, documentary about Hitler on meth. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like they were oh, all on meth. They were all on meth. That's what we know. Yeah, and then you can't admit to your friends like. That show you've had for seven years, I've never seen one second of it because I rather watch Hitler on meth. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we're surrounded by all these people that make comedy yeah. and they're, they all are churning out comedy and they're doing comedy specials. And there's this sense that we're all supposed to be watching all of it. Yeah. But if you look at my cue, it's always like, you may also like, and then it's just swastikas. Like, <laughs> just, and I don't mean in a, in a, please take that the right way, ladies and gentlemen, but it's all like Hitler, carpentry, Hitler, uh, when he went on vacation, like anything about Hitler or, or Stalin or any of those people. And it makes me, I look at that and I think, what kind of monster am I? I, I love it too. I'll watch, I'll get like Showa and then I'll go, Oh, I'll read something like, oh, the guy who made Shoah made all these other documentaries because he had so much stuff that he then made a whole bunch of other documentaries with the extra footage. And then there's there's a documentary about the guy who made Shoah <laughs> showing him how how he made Shoah, which actually has an incredible scene where he would <laughs> pretend he was like from some magazine and interview some Nazi in hiding in Argentina. And then they figured it out that he was fake. And they beat him almost to death. That's like in this documentary about, uh, and I think it's good because it makes us uh, root for the good guys. Like yeah. we, we like to know what the bad guys do right? so that we can uh, fight them. So I think of it as part of our preparation yes. for future wars. Yes, yes, yes. I Thank you for making me feel better about my really dark uh, viewing habits. You just reminded me, I just, it, I always remember moments of humiliation and shame. And when you mentioned Shoah, I remember when I was in college, going to the movie theater and I'm the movie's done and it's a, it's a multiplex and I come out and uh, I see a bunch of my friends coming out and they're all weeping from their movie. And I said, what did you guys just see? And they said, we just saw Shoah. And they're just like, they're-, they're Claude Lansman's Shoah, 10 hours. And they're like weeping. And you were and, walking out of- No, and here it is. <laughs> I, they said, what did you see? And I said- Rambo too. <laughs> I just, I still think about that occasionally. Whenever someone brings up Shoah, I remember that I was watching the least good of the Rambo movies. <laughs> Not even the Ram- the original Rambo. I was watching the one where they're like, can we get a little more out of this? Can we get a, a little extra mileage? And literally the wall my cinema shared on the other side, Shoah was going on. And I'm watching Sylvester Stallone <laughs> Just blow people up. 
Sona, where else can you go surfing and skiing the same day, huh? I don't know. Or check out a world-class art museum and then camp at a dark sky sanctuary that night, huh? Uh, yeah. Yeah, where else can you hike through Redwoods and then get a luxury spa treatment? Where? Well, you live there, California. <laughs> California, Sona. No matter where California. you go across the state, you'll find a way to play. I'm a California resident. So are you. Sona, you are a lifelong California resident. I'm a lifer. I love this place. This is a beautiful state. Gorgeous. So many different, wonderful ecosystems in one state. You can hang out by a Palm Springs pool. You know, you can go whale watching. You can go hiking in Yosemite. And then uh, talk about the great cities in California. You get all this amazing food, sushi, whatever you want. They got it in California. Hey, if you can't find it in California, man, you got a problem. Yeah. I shouldn't have done that. I made that up on my own. Anyway, I love California. Discover why California is the ultimate playground. Head to visitcalifornia.com to start planning your trip today. Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend is sponsored by ADT. Now ADT professionally installs Google Nest products so your home is safe and smart. You can check in on your home and manage your security systems from virtually anywhere. Google Nest cams can tell the difference between a person, an animal, a vehicle, or with the Nest doorbell, even a package. You can know that there's a package out there. I know. And not a person. You don't have to that do helps. anything. Yeah, sometimes a person rings the doorbell and I think it's a package. Anyway, <laughs> and with Nest Aware as part of your monthly ADT service, you can get 30 days of event video history, even smarter notifications, like when a familiar or unfamiliar face is seen. Plus, when every second counts, you can trust ADT's 24-7 professional monitoring. You can view video of an alarm event and verify or cancel an alarm with just a tap. Mm. I'm always setting off alarms accidentally. This is helpful for me. Oh, good. When the most trusted name in home security adds the intelligence of Google, well, you got a home with no worries. Go to ADT.com today or call 1-800-ADT-ASAP. Google, Nest Cam, Nest Doorbell, and Nest Aware are trademarks of Google LLC. way in today, Sona, I was thinking about just how much has changed over the years. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, we were all dancing the jitterbug and the Watusi. Okay. And then you grow up now and there's mosh pits and everything's gone <laughs> cuckoo. There's this new thing called rap. I don't know what's <laughs> happening anymore. But guess what? In a world full of change, there's one thing that hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. The great taste of Miller Lite. Are you with me on oh, this? Oh, yeah, I'm right there with you. Yeah, and you know, another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. Yeah. I hate a filling beer. Yeah. When I have a filling beer, I just want to sit down in a beanbag chair for six days, but not oh. with Miller Lite. So what's the best thing about the original light beer? Mm -hmm. Back in 1975, the big debate in America was what's more important, that it it's less filling Miller Lite or it tastes great. Yeah. The cool thing is when we all realized it's both. Okay. It's less filling and it tastes great. Yeah, all right. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality. Great taste. Only 96 calories. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and it's less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com slash Conan. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Yeah. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer. <laughs> You 
did a, a beautiful thing. Every time, I, many times I've run into you, I've, I've said when, when Gary Shandling passed away, you did such a lovely thing, which is you put together this incredible memorial for him, which we all attended, and it was just great. And then you made this fantastic documentary about Gary, and now you've got this uh, book, which is entitled, it's Gary Shandling's book, which is out right now, and it's fantastic. I think the reason this sort of relates to our overarching conversation is that you were mentored by Gary, who was very generous to you, and then you've turned around and paid it forward with all these people that you found, whether it's Lena Dunham or Amy Schumer or Seth Rogen, James Franco, you find these people and you say, hey, they're not there yet, but I'm going to put a light on them, which I think is a mitzvah, to use my people's term. Uh, you really are into all aspects of Jewish life, from the Holocaust documentaries to using the word mitzvah. Yeah. Um, well, mitzvah uh, was used, uh, that word came up a lot in Rambo, too. Yeah. <laughs> Rambo, people keep thanking Rambo for things, and he goes like, uh, it's a mitzvah. <laughs> I mean, I always look at it like I'm just a comedy fan, and as a kid, I would obsessively watch like the Mike Douglas show, and every once in a while, there'd be a new comic, and I, I would track them the way a kid would track an athlete. Like, oh my God, who's that Michael Keaton guy? I need to be doing stand-up. And then I'd hear, oh, he's got a, a, a TV show with Jim Belushi. And then suddenly I'd be watching Working Stiffs. And then that gets canceled immediately. I'm like, oh, he's got this, this movie Night Shift. And I would track them. So I always think of it more like, like that. It's just now I see people and I think, oh, I like them. I, I wish they were in a movie. I don't know if people will give them one. Maybe I can try to help make it happen. But it's more like I want to see the movie. It's funny because I was going through my diaries just the other day. I hadn't in like years. And like in 2002, it just said, connected to nothing, maybe I should make a movie with Seth Rogen as the lead. <laughs> Which, you know, coming off of Undeclared being canceled. And it wasn't like the most obvious thought. Like, wait, I think he should be the star of a major motion picture. But in my head, as a fan, I just thought... I think Seth's the funniest of everybody right now. I, I wonder what that would be. And that and that just continues. I mean, I'm do, I just finished a movie with Pete Davidson, and we met him five years ago when he was a kid. And, and I thought, well, that's clearly a guy that could carry these movies. He's, even as a 19-year-old, it was pretty obvious. I was talking to John Mulaney, and Pete Davidson came up, and I was saying, yeah, what is it about Pete Davidson? Because he does have uh, this aura and I can't quite identify what it is. And he was saying, John Mulaney was saying, uh, he really feels like he's like a young Sinatra. Like if you see Sinat footage of Sinatra- That's funny. In 1944, Sinatra has this kind of, it's slightly twitchy, but menacing, but also <laughs> vulnerable. Like it's this whole package that you just go like, who's that guy? Yes. Who is that guy? I don't know who that guy is, but, and I don't really know uh, Pete Davidson's stand-up, you know? I'm, I'm always reading about something that happened after he did his stand-up or this incredibly beautiful woman he was seen with <laughs> before the stand-up or after the stand-up, but I've, I, I don't really know his work. Well, he's one of those people, he doesn't know how to not be completely raw and honest and tell you exactly what's in his head at any moment. Right. There's just no censor whatsoever. It's just a live feed from his brain. That sounds terrifying. I don't think I want to, <laughs> I don't think I want to meet him now. <laughs> I mean, it makes like, you know, his acting and his comedy like really immediate. 
and funny. And I, I actually think of him more in a way as like a, an expression of a lot of the way kids feel today. There's a lot of anxiety and pressure and depression. And they're, they're, yeah. they're struggling in a way that's different than we did as kids. And it's hard to know exactly what the source of it is. But he feels it, you know, probably more than most people because he's gone through more than most people. But I think people relate to this vibration he puts off, which is I'm struggling. I'm trying to laugh and have fun and be a good guy, but it's hard. Like life's hard and I'm really trying to trying to figure it out. And I yeah. think that's the way a lot of kids feel. Yeah. So that's, that, that, that's why there's uh, this connection. He represents in some way what's happening in the zeitgeist. Yeah. You can, which is a you word I throw it. around, but I never really understand what it means. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, one of my favorite things uh, I, I forgot to mention in the documentary, but it's also in the book is you talking specifically about Gary being on your show bombing mm -hmm. and what it felt like to watch it and be a part of it. And be in it. And, I was in it. Yeah. yeah Gary was in a bad place in his life and I think in his health, although I don't even think he knew it yet. And uh, he came on my show and he had all of these, as you know, he always had notes. He yes. always had notes and papers. And he's backstage and I had remembered reading basically what we were going to talk about in, in a rough outline form. And it was just going to all be hilarious. And then he had thrown all of it out. Yes. And he <laughs> on the way to the show. On the way to the show. And he had all these papers and he was flipping through them and I could see just wild scratchings and scrawlings on them. And he was saying, yeah, maybe, maybe instead of that, I'm not going to do that instead, maybe, but what if you just, but also, and I, I put my hands on his shoulders and I just said, Gary, it's just me. It's yeah. just me. And it's just like, this is not you going on Johnny Carson for the first time and it's make or break. I was trying to say, this really doesn't matter in your life. Yeah. But he came out and he was so in his head and he kept mm. looking at himself in the monitor and co commenting on how he looked and how he wasn't, what will people say about how I look? And it, it just, the whole thing, and I was trying to help him, but I couldn't. And I was right there and I'm the host. And I yeah. felt like it's my job as the host to make everybody look great and I couldn't do it. Yeah. And it was really uh, painful. And uh, so you brought that up. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is. You You've now brought me into a miserable pit. <laughs> I remember Steve Carell was on Jimmy Kimmel and he did his first talk show appearance. Right. I don't know if it was for the 40 year old virgin or maybe it was for the off the office, which aired uh, just before the 40 year old virgin came out and he was nervous and he just started sweating. But, Sweating like Albert Brooks level broadcast news in yeah. life, but not even like an exaggeration. Like it was like a level of sweat you've never, ever seen before. And we're watching it and we're like, is Kimmel going to mention the sweat? Like, is he going to acknowledge it? And, and the audience is tightening up and it's just, it's way too much sweat. And then Steve finally like commented like, I'm sweating a lot. And Jimmy Kimmel was like, oh my God, thank you for saying it. And like, it popped the moment, but it was like one of those where you're like, oh no. I've seen that happen up close. Yeah, we're always that guy, no matter what. Like I saw Lovitz, I may have told you this story uh, on your show once, but I told I saw Lovitz at this party and he looked great. I'm like, John, you look great. He's like, yeah, I'm using this new shampoo, Control GX. <laughs> you, you shampoo your hair and it makes it a little darker. And then if you want it darker, you just shampoo it again. And then when you like it, you stop using it. 
And so, of course, I got the shampoo, and and I used way too much of it. My my hair went jet black. I I looked like Paul Manafort. I literally looked like Paul Manafort. And then I was like, "Why am I taking fashion advice from John Lovitz?" But I've always embraced like I am not cool. I cannot. Yeah. I don't. I still dress like I'm 13 years old. I don't. Like, you know, sometimes people, they pick a, a look, like suddenly, like, Wes Anderson looks like Tom Wolfe or something, and it works. And then you, we have friends like that. Paul Feig suddenly is wearing three-piece suits and a top hat. And I'm always like, what What would that be? What Would I become Euro trash? Or what? what is my look? And I've given up. I'm like, nope, it's eighth grade at Syosset High School. That's all it is. I can't. Be cool. I've, it's not going to happen. I'm just always amazed that like there's people like Jeff Goldblum who he'll just decide that he's going to dress like a crooner in the 1920s yeah. and and wear glasses that were made in Germany in 1850 <laughs> and do it. And it's all like, of course, yes, yeah. hurrah, Jeff Goldblum. And it works. He pulls it off. We can't do that. No. It you looks know. so, and it, and it sucks though that if we did that, it would look so crazy. Like I have friends who are actors, they'll have completely gray hair, and then I'll see him like a month later, and they have just like black hair, and then you see him next year, and they have like red hair, and no one blinks. Like I guess like I'm I'm a chameleon, I can change, I can be anything, and I'm like I'm slowly turning into Santa Claus. But if I <laughs> if I suddenly went black hair, I look nuts. Like I look completely crazy. So I have to like accept my decay. I can't be like Dick Clark, like with black hair at 85 years old. Right. And it sucks. I, I'm kind of fascinated with what would happen if I had a, let's say I had a two-month hiatus from my show for whatever reason, and I went and got a lot of stuff done to my face. Yeah. <laughs> would people say stuff to me? That's yeah. a tough thing. I don't know that you would say that. People don't say it to Simon Cowell on America's Got Talent. You know, he did that, and yeah. suddenly his face is completely different. And it's not like a contestant's like, well, you don't like what I did? Your face looks fucking nuts, man. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you to judge creative choices? <laughs> your eyes have been pulled to either side of your head, Cowell. <laughs> no, but I I'm, I'm, I'm just would dare. I want to do it almost to just then see who's going to have the courage to come up to me and go like, I, what well, did comedians you do? would do it, but I don't know if they would do it on air. But I respect people trying. Like, I'm not, you know, for me, like, I like that Simon Cowell does it. Like, I'm I'm kind of jealous that at, at the the ease to take those risks. And, you know, I feel bad for people who get plastic surgery because sometimes it doesn't work. Like, some people, it must be terrifying to go under the knife knowing, like, there is a chance for the rest of my life I look nuts. Right. Here we go. <laughs> I just always think whoever, if you're in comedy... You can't do it. I don't, I mean, I think I, that's my yeah. feeling is that if you're in comedy, you can't, no one's ever looked at me like, hmm, he's a drill treat for the eyes. <laughs> Got to check out my Conan O'Brien. You're like, that's not, and so if I'm cutting into muscles that I use to <laughs> try and make yes. people laugh, and then suddenly I look a little better, but I'm frozen, I don't know. It'd be but very, it may be helpful to us to look weirder. I'll do it. You know, like I'll we like it. old Phil Silvers more than young Phil Silvers. Like as we decay, we get that weird, you know, like a Lou Jacoby face and uh, and maybe it's better for us. I like that you say decay and uh, because it's true as opposed to as we age. 
I'm going to start saying to older people, you're <laughs> further in your decay. <laughs> you're, you're more advanced in your decay. Yes. And, um, and just see how they take it. Yeah, no, I always see it as decay because you feel it like, okay, we're on the other side. It's, we're slowly going down. I'm not sure how slow I can make this, but clearly we are in falling apart mode. Right. Yes. Yeah. But, but again, that's just my very specific <laughs> Jewish perspective of reality. Although I have been going to the gym a lot lately. I could tell. Which I, I hate. And I found a way to be as strong as I've ever been while remaining equally as fat. <laughs> so I'm, I'm like, I'm like, I have muscles, but I am equally as out of control with eating and fat. So you just, uh, do you eat your feelings when you're nervous about a yes. project or a movie? What is your go-to? Would you eat a whole bunt cake? Would you uh, would you drink molasses, blackstrap molasses out of a jug? Well, you- like sometimes at the office, there's some place they it, they make little bunt cakes. And so someone will send them to the office. And just every time I pass a refrigerator, I will eat one. So by the end of the day, I've had 11 mini bunt cakes. But yesterday I was I was feeling down. And while just talking to the editor, I I did three quarters of a pint of fish food, uh, Ben and Jerry's ice cream, but so fast. It was so fast that I had to say to the editor, while you said that I ate three quarters of a pint of ice cream. <laughs> I mean, and then I didn't eat like the last inch. And I was so proud, so proud that I put it back with an inch left. <laughs> what, uh, do you eat quickly? So fast. Okay, my wife sauna. and I would go to war about this because she's like, I'm sitting here yep. in the restaurant eating, staring at your empty plate for way too long. So I've had to, what I do now is I'll eat really fast and then leave like three things on the plate to create the illusion for my wife that I'm not done, but really I'm done. Sona, tell Judd how I eat. Um, it's shockingly fast. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, within seconds, and an joyless. entire sandwich will be scarfed. <laughs> and joyless. So no no joy at all. No it's joy. Like in you're the- hating it when you eat it. Yeah. It's, uh, and- you're not a food guy. No, and I've, I've, I have to admit, my wife, when we go someplace, she's like looking online and yeah. she's seeing which is the really good food. And I'm thinking, it doesn't matter. I'm going to put stuff in the hole in my head. <laughs> and I'm going to shove it in as fast as I can. Yeah. And then I, we're going to go back home and I'm going to look for Hitler <laughs> on Netflix, you know, uh, that's all, what is, you know. That's the difference. That's how we know you're not a Jew, this food part of this conversation. Uh, because for me, and me and Sandler have these talks all the time. Like when we talk about eating, we'll reminisce about eating. We're like, oh God, you remember when we lived together, we would go to Red Lobster. Oh, that was so good. We had no money and we spent it all on Red Lobster. And we thought it was fancy, and now we've eaten everywhere in the world, and it was better than everything <laughs> yeah. in the world. It's hilarious. But we love it so much because it's like uh, it's a great way to shame yourself because you know you're hurting yourself. It, uh, you can numb yourself. You're rewarding yourself. It's very hard to like unravel the food issues if you have them. You know, as like a kid of divorce, I used to go home and make uh, hamburgers. We had like a little uh, kitchen island that had a grill on it, so I'd be like. 13 at home, making cheeseburgers for myself, watching the Merv Griffin show, turning it into like the most fun event ever, watching like Michael Winslow do sound effects on the Merv Griffin show. Yeah. But so to me, that was like a, like a joyous escape. So now when I see a hamburger, I'm hardwired that this is like the best moment of my life. How old were you when your parents got divorced? Uh, Cause that was a 14. Seminal, yeah. And that was, that was a, like the, Atom bomb blast of oh yeah because they never got along again ever 
Like they broke up, but they never worked it out. They fought until they both had no money and they really never said like, yeah, we took that too far. Like it just went on it, it through college after college. And so it wasn't something that was like a year or two event. It was like, you know, a lifetime event. Right. So that's clearly the, okay, comedy will fix this. I'll go into yeah. comedy. I'll go into comedy. I'm going to get a job. I mean, it made me feel like, I gotta get out of here. I gotta get a job. I gotta get, like, create my own safer space. Yeah. Which was weird. You know, you're not supposed to be worrying about getting a job when you're 14 and you're, like, plotting your, your attack on Hollywood. <laughs> but, like, when you're just nervous, you're like, I mean, you could either, like, become a pothead or go, hunt down Howie Mandel to interview him for your high school radio show. You know, like that's <laughs> who did, the two who choices. You, you interviewed some, for your high school radio show, you interviewed some big names. Oh, I, yeah, I was crazy. I mean, I, well, one of the best ones was John Candy. I went to see, to the new wow. show. Yeah. So after Lorne Michaels left Saturday Night Live for a few years, he did the new show. I remember. And John Candy was a cast member. And, and I did like, you know, I'm not going to brag, but I did do Willie Tyler and Lester. <laughs> <laughs> at the same time. At Good. The same at time. the same time. Yeah. I did George Kirby. You know, I went deep. I yeah. went George Kirby. I went Guido Sarducci. Oh. I was, uh, you know, I was going one by one. Well, uh, I got to spend in 1985, I got to spend a day with John Candy because I was in college and I hoodwinked into him, him into coming in and visiting our humor magazine in yeah. college. And I spent the entire day with him. And to the, it's one of the greatest experiences of my life. He was everything I wanted him to be. Yeah. He was funny, like as if he were in a sketch, he was funny and uh, took me around. I mean, I was supposed to be showing him around and he's like, kid, kid, come here, you're with me, kid. <laughs> and it was just like, oh my God, he's Johnny LaRue. It's, it was yeah. the greatest experience. I'll always have that. But that, That's a great scam of college. Yes. So you give awards to people to get them to hang out with you. Yes. So and like, the awards are meaningless, like, much as they are in this town. Like National Lampoon, I mean, the Harvard Lampoon, you do Hasty Puddings every year. Oh, yeah. Who, yeah. who else came when you were there? Uh, let's see. We got, oh, Cosby. Very well. I've talked about good. this a lot, but we got, this was uh, back when um, the uh, Cosby show was just taking off, yeah. and we got Cosby to come, and uh, so... I picked him up at the airport in my dad's uh, <laughs> uh, fu really fucked up uh, station wagon that my dad bought from a motel. So it's, yeah. And it said, uh, it said Pine Lodge Inn on the side and had a painting of a pine tree. And it was a crappy uh, fucked up Ford station wagon that had just been, it was a real beater. And I, I didn't know about getting a limo. So I picked yeah. up Bill Cosby, who was wearing a tuxedo and flew in on a private jet. And he landed at <laughs> Butler Aviation at Logan Airport, which I'll never forget because I was, it was burned into my mind. I've got to get to Butler Aviation. <laughs> and I picked him up and he couldn't believe he had to get in that car. Yeah. And for years- In a nice way, like a funny way, or like he's actually furious. I think he was actually way put off. And I used to tell this story with great shame. And now that uh, he's in prison um, for these horrendous crimes, suddenly I look like I was way ahead of the curve. <laughs> I look like, you know, I knew he was up to something, yeah. so he had to pay. <laughs> Did he go back seat or front seat? He went back seat and found wow. and found a Big Mac styrofoam <laughs> wrapper in the back and held it up and said, and what would this be? And I'm like, oh, don't worry about that. <laughs> My brother Neil went to McDonald's. 
He actually works there, so he gets the Big Macs for free. We'll be there in about 40 minutes. I wouldn't touch the door if I were you, Mr. Cosby. It just flies open sometimes. And what he, was the conversation, though? I mean, let's really dig down into this. Uh, I know. I w- it was, I don't remember. I remembered being so... It was so wrong and on so many levels. Yes. And I think we literally did go buy a bowling trophy and saw off the bowling ball. So it looked like a man was presenting you with comedy, but it was really a guy bowling and we had sawed off the bowling ball. And what would he do? Would he have to do a speech? Yes, or he had to something? do a speech. And it was then that I realized what a rhythm comic he is because yeah. I was standing behind him and, it, and I think I was like 18 or something. And I was realizing and I'm standing behind him. Nothing he's saying is making sense, but he's killing. So he went out there and and it was just that he's such a great, uh, such a great rhythm uh, performer. You know, he had, he could change his pitch. And so it was so musical. And so he went out there and he's a huge star and you saw, oh, if you have great rhythm and you're a massive star, you can go out there. And literally it was just like, (laughs) and people were just going crazy. And they go, remember, don't be a June bug, be a Biggle Boo. And people were going nuts and going, he's right, he's right. And I was the whole time standing behind him going, I see. Well, the weird thing is he discovered Sandler. Sandler I didn't know that. Cosby discovered Sandler? Sandler goes to a dinner. I'm sure he's told this story before um, with uh, uh, Anthony Quinn's family because he was friends with uh, Anthony Quinn's son. And Cosby was there. And then Cosby got a kick out of him and put him on the Cosby show. I mean, he was on five episodes of the Cosby show. That's right. That was his start. That was before MTV, I think. Yeah. And and me and Sandler noticed that it was all rhythm comedy when we were kids and we lived together. And it was one of the things that we used to do around the apartment all the time was like impressions of Cosby for very long periods of time. Because we realized that it was just the rhythm. So he'd just be like, you know, I tell this joke where I use the word asshole. I only say it once. I only use the word once in the act. And it gets such a big laugh that I go home. I make myself a sandwich. I watch a TV show and I come back and they still be laughing. Yeah. (laughs) And we would just do that all the time. Just talk. And then she's making the cake and the kids are looking at me and they're like, oh no, dad made us eat the cake. And it's so weird to have so much love for somebody. Yes. And then have them be the devil. It's a very strange experience because it's like, you don't even want to say it like, I got into comedy because of him. Right. And then you find out, oh no. And what does it mean that I loved him so much? My mom, because there was a lot of kids, there's six kids and we all had to kind of go to bed around the same time. So she just put us all in bed on the same, we were all on the same floor and, you know, on the same level of the house. And she would just put us all in these different rooms and then she would put a Cosby record on. Yeah. And uh, also a new heart, uh, but- Cosby. Chicken, chicken heart monster bit. It is very strange. Every now and then I stop myself and go, he's in prison- for one of the worst things anybody can ever yeah. do. That's stunning to me. You just think about it. Also, because comedy, I think, was our safe place. Like, the world is scary. And so we go to this world with comedians, and they're all nice, and they're our friends, and we love making people happy. So it's weird to think that the place that's our escape actually has dangerous people in it. Like, that's the mind fuck of it is, oh, no, my little island, you know, has bad stuff also. And, and it's... It's not rational to think that the world of comedy wouldn't also have that because every profession has well, also in bad a way, people. yeah. Also, comedy might have more bad people yeah. in it than other professions. 
Yeah. You and I have both had the experience, without naming names, of just working with people who are very talented and absolutely miserable. I'm going to name the names. <laughs> Paul Lynch. <laughs> Paul Lynch. <laughs> because, you know, I, you know, I go to this therapist, and one of his, his theories, which you know, is not his theory, but a, a thing that people believe, is that the brain wants to remember bad stuff to keep you safe. Yes. So yes. I have that story. You know, I, I tell this on my stand-up special about having to do a toast to Mel Brooks. Yeah. All these people are going up before me, like Sarah Silverman. Billy Crystal does a, he sings like 11 songs from Mel Brooks movies and TV yeah. shows and Martin Short and comes out and, and I had a panic attack and I left. I literally left. I turned to my daughter. I'm like, I'm really nervous. And she goes, let's get out of here. And, <laughs> and, and That's so I funny because the person you're with is supposed to go, no, 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 you're great. <laughs> And you're supposed, but to, to have the person with you go, let's get out of here. <laughs> She's like, Dad, you're white. You look white as a ghost. Are you having a heart attack? And I, I literally found the first AD. I'm like, I think you have enough content. I'm going, Ugh. and I left. And I just, I completely got taken over by the panic of bombing in front of like Mel Brooks and Sasha Baron Cohen. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Just everyone yeah, yeah. was there. It was like thousands of people. And since then, I've prepared much differently. I just wasn't that prepared for what I was going to do. But Mel Brooks is also like sewn into your brain from yes. birth. Like this is the guy. Right. It's one of those, you look up funny in the dictionary. Yeah. And uh, well, his, his picture just won't be there because it'll just be the definition. <laughs> it'll just be the definition of funny. That's, I mean, I don't want anyone looking in the dictionary because it's just going to be the definition. I so, went with you know. Bill Hader to visit him, you know, every once in a while I'll go visit him just to bug him. I don't know him that well, but I would just show up anyway out of worship. And I brought Bill Hader and he's, he couldn't be nicer and funnier. And then we're leaving. And as he walks us out, he goes, come again, but not for a while, like four <laughs> to six months. <laughs> and as we walked to the car, he waited outside and watched us walk for a long time. And, and he, I mean, he's so funny. You know, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. just watching us walk and he's just still there. You turn around, he's still there. Yep. And then we turn around and he just goes, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I've kept you here way too long and I do apologize, but I Not love talking to you. Yeah, this, that was was, fun. this is great. This was really great. And it will never, um, You'll never be heard. I'm having this destroyed. As it should be. Um, Keep it pure. If it's really pure. <laughs> hey, man. It's just for now, man. It's just for this moment. It's just a moment. Don't monetize this shit, Conan. Oh, trust me. We have not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm driving a Kia on the way home. Uh, thank you so much for yes. doing this. This was My really pleasure. cool. Thank you. You know, it's incredible to have the flexibility to work in all sorts of places, whether it's taking video calls from the park or emailing large files while you're grocery shopping. Sona, this is good for you. Is it? Because you're always doing whatever work you do for me from fun locations. But I like blaming it on not having reception. I know, but you can't do that here. Working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network, which is why you should check out T-Mobile, Sona. Okay. Then you got no excuses. They're America's largest and fastest 5G network. With T-Mobile, you'll be covered in more places with the 5G speed you need for your life on the go. Plus, they also cover more highway miles with 5G than anybody else. Check it out if you don't believe me. 
Hey, Blay, you've got T-Mobile, right? I do. I was actually just up in the woods in Idlewild. It was fantastic for the weekend. And uh, my T-Mobile didn't miss it. My T-Mobile phone didn't miss it. You know, I wouldn't think you'd need a cell phone because you speak so loudly into a microphone. (laughs) Well, I had to look some stuff up. Just take it. Just take it down. I didn't know what brunch was. I can hear him. (laughs) When the restaurant's open for brunch. Okay. uh, So I used uh, my T-Mobile coverage to check out brunch. That's all right. Anyway, wherever you are, you know, take it from the loud speaking Blay. If you're on the go, you want to be in the know, you want to make the show. What? Uh, T-Mobile. Okay. That's the one for you. That was I should weird. have rhymed it with go. Anyway, <laughs> find out more at tmobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. Fastest based on median overall combined 5G speeds according to analysis by Ookla of Speed Test Intelligence Data Q3 2023. C5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. If most people are being honest, no one really knows what you do for work, right? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, especially if you're in a, what I like to call B2B. Oh, you know? what, what is that? I'll explain. Okay. That's a business doing business with other businesses. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I call it B2B. It's a little thing. It's also, uh, it's a boy band I'm working on. <laughs> anyway, fortunately, LinkedIn has a network of professionals who get what you do, and you can reach the right people who matter most to your company because they're LinkedIn. Yeah. That's what they do. LinkedIn has over, this is the fun part to say, one billion members. Are you serious? Yeah. That's not, that's more people than are on earth because there are people on the moon using it and Saturn. (laughs) That's one over 1 billion members on its platform, including 70 million decision makers. God, I'd like to meet a decision maker. Since LinkedIn members are regularly updating their work history, you can precisely build a target audience by job title, industry, company, and more. Man, you can reach the right people for your, I'm going to say it again, B2B business with LinkedIn ads. Yeah. Gets even better because LinkedIn will give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Hmm. There you go. Just go to linkedin.com slash Team Coco to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash Team Coco. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Okay, let me explain what's happening right now. Um, We are actually at my house. We're in the basement of my house where it's nice and quiet. And it's Sona and I, and uh, we had to tape some ads that Mm -hmm. needed to, to go out. And then I realized, hey, we're here without our producer, Matt Gorley. So this is our chance to dish on Matt Gorley yeah. while he's not here. Mm-hmm. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Gorls. Gorls? That's what I call them, Gorls. Some of your nicknames. What? They're not great. Gorls. G-O-U-R-L-Z. Gorls. <laughs> With a Z. Yeah. Okay. It's Gorls. Anyway, he's not here. So this is our chance to talk about him. Mm-hmm. Dish. Sip a little tea. Is that what the kids say? Now? Oh my God. What do they say? I don't know, honestly. I've, I've heard my daughter say it. Is it sip a little tea? You know what? Isn't it spill the tea? It's, Why I would think you spill the tea? Well, that's because you're dishing. You're, you're dishing some hot goss. Well, you can, if you've got something to add he here. He doesn't Blay, have a microphone. Ju- I know, but he can, you can just lean in and say, what is it, Blay? Yeah, I think it's like, or you say something and you say like, and that's the tea. And that's the yeah, tea. Yeah, the tea is the goss. I like saying, let's brew the tea. Oh, man. Let's brew the tea or let's let the tea steep. Those aren't good. Let's let the tea steep. Then we'll use some sort of mesh to uh, keep all uh, little detritus 
out of the cup and then we'll pour the tea into the cup and enjoy the tea, hence gossip. Do you like my way of saying it? It's, it's so long. Well, it's a process. Doesn't it take so long? Can't you just say spill the tea? Not I, That's not what the way I like to say it. Okay, I'm sorry. Let us brew the tea. <laughs> let it steep so the nutrients and flavors from within the leaf can become part of the broth. Then strain aforementioned tea, uh, e- e- extracting with mesh all detritus, and then sip the tea as it goes from warm to, you, you know you're laughing, and then you're always putting the microphone away, <laughs> denying me of the one thing I really need, which is laughter. You need it so badly. Yes, I do. You're like... Uh, A drug know. addict, that, and that's the drug. Oh, I was going to say like Tinkerbell, but I remember you made that analogy in the documentary you shot 10 years ago, where you're like Tinkerbell, like you need applause or else you die. Yeah, yeah. Without laughter and applause... Uh, I die. I'm sorry. I moved the microphone. If someone's away not from me. laughing at me, then I don't exist. Well, not only did you, I'm laughing, but you needed to make sure people knew I was laughing. Also, at if you. I haven't made someone laugh within a 24 hour period, it means I never did exist. All my past history is erased. It's a weird thing. It's sort of like, um, what's that movie with Leonardo DiCaprio where buildings fold into themselves? The Revenant. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, The Revenant. Inception. Remember in The Revenant how skyscrapers fold in on themselves? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. Come on. Okay, so anyway. Inception. Um, Inception. What the hell? What are we- Be nice to me. Okay. Gorley's not here. Okay, let's talk. Okay. This is our chance. Let's spill the tea on girls. girls. Yeah. Let's brew, uh, remove detritus, uh, drink said tea, and then spill said tea if there's any left over after we drink it on morals. Now, listen, I love the guy, and he does an amazing job. Do you know that he's like considered a god in the podcast world? I know. And um, he does, oh, look, you can tell we're in my house because someone's ringing the bell. Who is it? It's probably Gourley. <laughs> Gourley probably knows we met without him. And he's at he's <laughs> He has a sensor. Wait, they're talking. So he probably got into his vintage sob. And anyway, but he's not here. And yeah. I just want to say I do love the guy. He's he's a maestro. Yeah. Do you think that it's wrong that we're talking about him when he's not here to stick no. up for himself? No, 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 no. That's the best time to talk about people. Okay. When behind when you, their back. Yes, yes. I grew up Irish Catholic, as you all know, uh-huh. and I grew up in a family where you never confronted anybody at all. You just don't. Uh-huh. What you do is you wait till they're out of the room. Don't you think that that's wrong? Yes. And that you should talk to someone? Yes. Directly? I, oh, about, it's terribly wrong. Oh, okay, okay. It's but you wrong want to continue and it's doing it. It's, I mean, there are a lot of things that are wrong that we keep doing, right? Right. I still eat pizza. I'm not supposed to eat pizza. Pizza's None of us. Pizza's amazing. Yeah. No, it's terrible and it's wrong. But this is the best time to talk about Gorley because he can't stand up for himself. Because when people defend themselves, it's just a waste of time. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a time waster. What does that even mean? It means that when someone says, wait a minute, you just said that. I'd like to defend myself. That's all time wasted. <laughs> right? So in your perfect world, yeah. you just go after someone. They mm-hmm. don't stick up for themselves. They can't. They're not there. And they're okay. <laughs> You're awful. That's awful. So anyway, Gorley... Uh, yeah, he's... Does it upset you that he's so popular in the podcast world and you just started off in this not business? Not really. It doesn't really bother me. I have, I'm very good at 
uh, reverting to my own narcissism. My narcissism saves me. It's like Iron Man's, um, you know, shell. So you're you saying know, it's good arm. you're a narcissist. Well, yeah. Okay. Narcissists do pretty well. Have you looked at the news lately? Narcissists <laughs> are killing it. Narcissists are killing it out there. But anyway, so uh, no, Gorley, he does it. Let's let's list his positives quickly and then move on to the good stuff. He's really nice. He's very nice. He's very friendly. Very friendly. He's an affable chap. He's funny. He's got a lovely, funny, beautiful wife. Yes. yes. Uh, He seems to be good at a lot of things. He made like these beautiful craftsman style lamps that looked like they were made by... I mean, a professional, you know? He's handy. Handy. He's handy. And then I, I just think that he, um, you know, he sometimes gets in my grill. You've seen him do that. Yes. Which is, you know what, for someone who's known you for not that long, it's actually impressive that he, he does that. Yeah, he he, uh, he fights back. Yeah. I think in the early episodes of this show, Gorley didn't know. He was like, oh my God, this guy's coming after me, mm-hmm. you know? And let's face it, I am, um, you know, a known figure. In the world, okay, sort of like a uh, whatever I don't know, a Gandhi or a, oh my god. Well, I'm just listing people that are also known. That's not a, right. Well, or Betty Crocker. A what? Well, one come on, didn't eat enough, and one. Oh, there's Gorley trying to get in again to stop me from relating. <laughs> Gorley now wants in. Can you hear that? Gorley wants in because he knows I'm about to list Betty Crocker and Gandhi in oh the same god. sentence. Oh my god! My point is, what is the point, really? I what just wanted we? to. I wanted to, you want to make fun of Gorley when he's not here. Yeah, now you know what I'm realizing right now. It's not as fun when he's not here. There you go. Isn't that nice? Because I can't see his face contorting in. And it's not like he looks like he's enraged. Yeah. But he gets this constipated look oh, when no. I'm going after him. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, he does. And I, I, he's not here. And that makes it less fun. So, And so I'm not going to stop because of moral reasons. Okay. I'm stopping because I, I like to see my victim as I attack. So we learned a valuable lesson here. Which was? Which is, it's, you know, you usually like to talk about someone behind their back, but if you do that, you can't see them. Feel pain. Feel, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> this worked out. You've really matured. I think I took a big step here. Sona, thank you. Oh, good. I'm glad. See, there is some value to meeting in my basement. <laughs> And uh, talking a little bit about Gorley and learning how to say drink the tea, spill the tea. Oh, no. There's tea. Your version of spill the tea is uh, probably not going to catch on. You'll see. It's going to be everywhere soon. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah. All right. 16-year-old girls everywhere are going to be saying, oh, my God, brew the tea and then remove the detritus with mesh. <laughs> then let it cool and then sip. Uh, all right. Oh, okay. All right. You're, we should get out of the basement. It's, it's, I want to go bringing, home. It's, you want to go home? <laughs> Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend with Sonam Obsessian and Conan O'Brien as himself. Produced by me, Matt Gorley. Executive produced by Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco and Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon at Earwolf. Theme song by The White Stripes. Incidental music by Jimmy Vivino. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, and our associate talent producer is Jennifer Samples. The show is engineered by Will Beckton. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review featured on a future episode. 
Got a question for Conan? Call the Team Coco hotline at 323-451-2821 and leave a message. It too could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Silence is golden, especially when it comes to brakes. That's why Napa Silent Guard are built to be one of the smoothest and most quiet brakes on the market. Made with fiber-reinforced shins that eliminate noise for the life of the pad, rubber-coated hardware for a better fit, and quality design that meets and exceeds OE performance. Silent Guard brakes deliver the stopping power drivers demand. Available now at Napa locations nationwide. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers.